The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Two of the disciples of Jesus were on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking together about all that had happened. Now, as they talked this over, Jesus himself came up and walked by their side, but something prevented them from recognizing him. He said to them, what matters are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped short, their faces downcast. Then one of them said, one of them called Cleopas answered him, you must be the only person staying in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have been happening these last few days. What things? He asked. All about Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, who proved he was a great prophet by the things he said and did in the sight of God and of the whole people, and how our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and had him crucified. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. And this is not all. Two whole days have gone by since it all happened, and some women of our group have astounded us. They went to the tomb in the early morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back to tell us they had seen a vision of angels who declared he was alive. Some of our friends went to the tomb and found everything exactly as the women had reported, but of him they saw nothing. Then he said to them, You foolish men, so slow to believe the full message of the prophets. Was it not ordained that Christ should suffer and so enter into his glory? Then starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, he explained to them the passages throughout the scriptures that were about himself. When they drew near the village to which they were going, he made as if he were to go on, but they pressed him to stay with them. It is nearly evening, they said, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now while he was with them at table, he took the bread and said the blessing, then he broke it and handed it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he had vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They set out that instant and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven assembled together with their companions, who said to them, Yes, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told their story of what had happened on the road and how they had recognized him at the breaking of bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Last Sunday, Jesus gave a kind of great commission. It wasn't the great commission, because we're going to hear that at the ascension when he, when he tells them, go out and baptize all nations. But he gave a commission nonetheless. He said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And after this, he breathed on them and he sent them out. To do what? Well, to loosen us from our sins and to propagate the peace of Jesus. I'm assuming and I'm hoping we've all tasted the deep, deep peace of Jesus, his life with us. 
Jesus gives a peace which is very unique. It isn't just a numbing of our anxieties. If that's all we wanted, alcohol and drugs and whatever else we have available would do the trick. It's not just positive psychology to relieve the worries swirling around in our minds. If that's all we wanted, um, then, then there's any number of self-help resources out there or charismatic speakers or, or counselling groups to uplift and motivate us. And all of these things are good. They might help. But Jesus gives something that the world cannot, in fact, produce. And I think every counterfeit we've ever gone after leaves a bitter taste in our mouths because we know we've been shortchanged. Jesus gives peace, real peace. What does this mean? What is the peace of Christ? Among other things, we can say it is his trustworthiness, his gentleness, his perceptive clarity that he speaks into our minds and our lives. It is his authority which releases us from the illusion and the burden that everything is up to us and it's all on our shoulders. Not so. It's the soothing balm of his warm heart embracing us as he does. It's the harmony that Jesus and Jesus alone is able to bring to everything because everything converges on him. He's like the common ground that all of reality stands on. For that matter, it is the stability that is Christ, and so forth. It's all of these things and more. And we should note, it's not just a peace for this earthly life. In fact, it is a peace for eternity. It's an assurance of life even well beyond the grave, as this season of Easter tries to say to us loud and clear. Remember those words from the psalm that we heard Henry announce. Preserve me, O God, I take refuge in you, in the person of Jesus. You are my portion you are my cup, you are my prize. To borrow from that uh, second reading, you are our ransom, ever in our sight, in whom we stand firm. All of this bespeaks the peace of Jesus. And so my heart rejoices, my soul is glad. Even my body, even our physical selves shall rest secure. You will show us the path of life, the fullness of joy and happiness forever. This is the deep abiding peace of Christ. In other words, it is the utter goodness of him being with us, sharing in our lives, sharing his life with us, and never leaving us, thank God. We're called firstly as people of faith to know this peace, and then we're commissioned. As the Father sent me, we're sent out to share this peace with the whole world a world that suffers every kind of disturbance of peace, every kind of agitation. And tragically, a world that's left to fumble around with every kind of cheap solution, you know, um, every clever counterfeit that we can think of. Thus, we thankfully have what we call the sacramental life. We need the sacraments. Why do we need them? Because God wants to share I'll say that again. Why do we need the sacraments? Because God wants us to share in as much of his life as possible, as soon as possible. And the sacraments do this. God can save anyone anywhere. That's not really the question we're asking. If we want to share maximally in his life, the sacraments are what he has given us, and they are necessary for us and for the, for the world. Tonight we see a baptism. Little Louise Ann 
It's the beginning of all of our sacramental journeys that we've walked and, and we're still walking. The word literally means to be immersed. So it is at once what we're going to witness, a death and a birth. We're going to see that right before our eyes. We go down into the tomb with Christ and we re-emerge different, changed permanently. In fact, it's a change that can't be undone. By this sacramental immersion experience, if you like, we are washed of original sin, our being at odds with God. We're adopted into the family of God so that we can be considered co-heirs, as we hear in many of our prayers. We're grafted into the life of Jesus, his living body, so we can be considered branches of the vine, as Jesus himself says. And, and thus the great adventure of what we call deification begins. That is, our becoming like God. That's what it's all about. I always find this powerfully ironic because what was the essence of the fall from grace in the first place? An attempt to be like God. So it's powerfully ironic that this is in fact what we're still doing. Satan would have us believe that we can be like God without God. This is a contradiction. It's like saying you can be bright without brightness, which is, is ultimately what they got. Um, this empty, hollow foretaste of divinity that fell infinitely short. God made us for communion. And the reason I think we fall for the devil's deception is because being like God is in fact why we exist. It's the purpose for which God is forever drawing us into. Um, how do we achieve this ultimately? By being ever more in relationship with God. It can't be done over and against or without him. We start to become like God when we are immersed into him. And thus baptism and the baptismal water is an outward sign of being drowned in Jesus, himself being the living water. Next comes confirmation, which completes our baptism. The Holy Spirit is given at baptism, but in confirmation we see our own maturation in the faith and then the fruitfulness of that same spirit alive and at work in us. What are those fruits? Well, it's the outpouring that we really rejoice to see of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These testify to the spirit at work in a person. The spirit gives wisdom. Uh, the Latin word is sapientia, which talks about a taste. You know, It's like a taste for that which is good and true, that which is godly. The Spirit gives understanding. The Spirit gives counsel or right judgment. The Spirit gives fortitude or courage, something that we all will need in our journeys. The Spirit gives piety. And finally, knowledge and fear of the Lord or awe. Not awe at ourselves, no matter how similar to God we might start to become but all at the image of God that we're reflecting, the one who made us and is calling. This is what a human fully alive looks like. And in such a person, we in fact see the presence of God. One effectively imitates God when they live like this. St. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In today's gospel, we see not baptism and confirmation, but the Eucharist. And not only the breaking of bread, but really we see the whole shape of the Mass, from gathering to making this 
kind of pilgrimage of misunderstanding, of need, of breaking open the word, and finally breaking of the bread. We mentioned already being sent into the world in the same way Jesus was sent to make forgiveness and freedom from evil known. The sacraments of reconciliation and anointing of the sick are necessary because baptism and confirmation sadly don't transform us into sinless immortals. We still have to navigate life. We're still going to encounter in ourselves and in the world a mixture of sanctity, holiness everywhere, sure, to be found, but also sinfulness in ourselves, in the world, brokenness that continues to break. As a result, we undergo damage on our journey. Jesus heals us as we come to the sacrament and confess our constant need for him. He treats our misery, whether it be spiritual, psychological, social, or, or simply physical, with his lavish, lavish mercy. He heals our woundedness, and then he lets us run another few laps, eventually calling us to whatever particular vocation or state in life he has in mind for us. For his glory and for the sake of the whole world, we get to participate in these things. This, in very short, is the sacramental life, the life that we are drawn into, a life which is meant to abound in sanctifying grace, which, while fragile and ordinary, none of us are superheroes here, is powerfully holy and good at the same time. There is nothing cheap about the sacraments. They might be free, just like God's grace is always free, but there's nothing cheap about it. There's also nothing deceptive in the sacraments. Exactly what they say and claim to do is exactly what they're doing. We can have sure faith in this because Jesus desires it to be so. Jesus could have saved us and could still save us each on our own. He could come individually to each of us and, and grant us a kind of exclusive individual salvation. But he doesn't seem to want to work this way. And maybe it's his profound humility. Despite all of life literally being about Jesus, Jesus would prefer to have us center stage with him. He'd prefer to share the glory with us just as we glorify him. He saves us then collaboratively, co-laboring, and he saves us sacramentally. That is to say, through each other and through these mysteries that we celebrate. Never in isolation, but always in common. The sacraments are always universal. They're always cosmic. They're never private. See how the sacraments then, and see how deification as the end, becoming like God, is realized. And actually, the church itself also becomes a great sacrament to the world. The very church itself is a sacrament to the whole world. It's to be a yeast which can and will leaven the whole society in every age through all time. Simply then, as we prepare to witness again what we always see time and time again, let's pray thanks, thankfully to God for the sacraments. Thank you, Jesus, for these gifts. And let's ask him to help us avail of all of them, each of them, more and more, that his life may abound in us for his glory and the whole world. May we not only see him in the breaking of bread, but even in the pouring of water, in the anointing of oil, in the forgiveness of sins, in fact, permeating all of life, all of our journeys together.